Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm a very husky Lib Griffiths today, and this is our latest look at everything from the Champions League to the National League. It's been another action-packed week across the women's game, and joining me this week is my very good friend and regular to the pod, Emily Lyles. Emily, we're going to have to rebrand this pod soon. I feel like it's always me and you, but thanks for joining us again. What a beautiful introduction. (laughs) I try my best, I try my best. Right, lots to get through today. So let's head back to midweek, first of all, Champions League qualifiers. A massive shock as Manchester City failed to qualify for the group stages. They lost 2-1 on aggregate following a 1-0 home defeat to Real Madrid. Claudia Zorzona with the only goal on the stroke of half-time. Boss Gareth Taylor said they can use this now as fuel for domestic success. Emily, Manchester City reached the quarterfinals of this competition last season. So do you feel this is a massive shock to go out at this stage? Yeah, I have to say, because if I'm not mistaken, the game was the same night as the England men's game, right? I believe last week. And I think in some respects that made it go under the radar slightly just generally because there was other, other sport going on. Not that that's necessarily a good thing, don't get me wrong, but I think... It was only sort of the day after, really, where I was talking about it with some of my, shall we say, uh, women's football, fellow women's football fans. And yeah, I think when you look back, it was a shock. I don't think anyone expected them to exit, certainly not at this stage. But then again, does it go back to the discussion that we've had previously that there's some really, really good teams in Europe. There's some really strong leagues in Europe. There's some really strong players across the board. And maybe, just maybe, there was a little bit of underestimating Madrid on this occasion. You say that, but they have made some super signings, um, not just this summer, but over the last few years. I mean, we look at their roster and it's pretty jam-packed with superstars of their own. So are you are you surprised that they've just sort of, not been able to sort of take on more domestic success in the last few years? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a a really fair point. And I I think, you know, that performance or certainly that result was eye-catching, wasn't it? Um, But also it's so early on in the competition as well. And I guess in some respects, you just hope from their their point of view that it isn't their kind of big result of the tournament. Um, you know, that they can carry on. But certainly from a City point of view, it was a really big shock. I think certainly off the back of their really, really impressive performance at Goodison Park, you know, just the weekend before when they looked on it, didn't they? They were flowing. It was probably a result that, not necessarily a result, but a scoreline that shocked a lot of people given the signings that Everton have made and the players that they had. And then, yeah, for that to happen was was a real surprise. I mean, what did you think, Liv? Oh, I mean, that's a very, very good question. Um, I kind of think they're underachieving at the moment, personally. Um, I think, like we've talked about, sort of the signings that they've made and the intentions that they've made. I'm not sure whether it's gelling completely at the moment with Gareth Taylor and the team at the moment. And, you know, you look across the board and, yes, they've made some great signings, but is there that question that there are other players who are you know, on the tail end of their careers and maybe like there needs to be a shift in the sort of high impact and and what they can sort of offer them. But just because they're out of the Champions League doesn't mean that, you know, it's still early days with the WSL and there's the domestic league. So do you think with the likes of Chelsea, and we'll talk about Arsenal in a sec, having to play these midweek games now with the Champions League, will that kind of give City an advantage maybe just to focus on the league now that they're 
not playing in the Champions League? I think possibly. I think I think it, it does. I think it it does help, doesn't it? Certainly having less games, having less travel. We're still in a slightly uncertain world, aren't we, when it comes to travel, what protocols will have to be followed. I know the rest of the world, or not the rest of the world, but the rest of our society, I guess, is opening up. But that's not really reflected in sport, is it? There's still very strict protocols they have to follow to be able to train and be able to play every game. So, yeah, I think it will ha- it will have an impact. Um, I'm sure we'll obviously get onto their result at the weekend a little bit later on. But, you know, it just hasn't been a particularly good week for them. And I think with Gareth Taylor, it's a really difficult situation because he obviously came in you know, and replace somebody that had been very, very successful for a long time, knew the club inside out. I guess those experienced players that you mentioned there, a lot of them will have only ever known him as their head coach and their their manager, if you like, and the person they work for. So I think as well, you, you sort of are seeing a little bit of what he's trying to do from a, to use a bit of a cliche phrase, a philosophy point of view as well. I think he is trying to do things a bit differently and that takes time. Um I guess last season probably hasn't helped him in a lot of senses as well because of obviously missing out on the league and, and some of the form during the season. But you just hope, don't you, that he is given time? Because, I mean, I think he comes across very, very well. He's very articulate. He's very, very honest in his assessment. And, yeah, you just, you know, I think really the league and, and domestic football in England is a lot better when it has a stronger Manchester City. No, I, I agree with you there. And like you said, the season's very, very early. Might not have been a success for them, but Arsenal cruised through with a 4-0 win away at Slavia Prague to win 7-0 on aggregate. Vivian Miedemar scored a hat-trick, which takes her past 100 goals for Arsenal. Crazy. Last season's Women's Champions League finalists, Chelsea, have been drawn with Wolfsburg, Juventus and Servette in Group A of this season's tournament. And Arsenal are in with Barcelona, who beat Chelsea in the final and tournament de- debutants Hoffenheim and Coog. So that is going to be very interesting for Chelsea and Arsenal. So we'll have to see how that all goes. But we'll stay with Arsenal and they continued their fine form on Sunday as they comfortably brushed aside Reading at the Majetsky Stadium. Jen Beattie headed the first before Beth Mead made it 2-0 with an instinctive finish. And yes, it was her again, Vivian Miedemar. She added the third before heading the fourth. Emily, what a week for Vivian Miedemar. It's a great achievement, isn't it? Do you think she gets enough credit? She's kind of another player who slips under the radar sometimes. She certainly is. And there's that debate, isn't there, that she only scores against certain teams, shall we say, and doesn't. I guess, perform in the bigger games. But then, you know, and I know you can make stats work for you and to support your argument at times, but you do look and actually more and more, that's not necessarily the case anymore. And I think she probably doesn't always get the credit she deserves because, for example, if you look at Arsenal last season, they did struggle, but they struggled a bit across the board. It wasn't just, you know, in in her department, as it were. And I think as well, for someone still so young, you have to feel that, you know, she's got years ahead of her. She, the world's her oyster, really. And yeah, I mean, what a phenomenal achievement and what a, what a goal ratio. I think, you know, you only had to see the reaction of it, didn't you, to see, you know, how incredible that achievement is. Yeah, absolutely. Here's a really very big question for you, Emily. Do you think she's writing herself into WSL folklore to become, if she carries on the way that she's doing, to become one of the best players this league's ever seen? Yes, I do. And I think, 
in a strange way, um, just on the previous point that, okay, she's played for some good Arsenal teams, but also she's played for some that are in a bit of a, let's say, transitional period. And I think that makes what... (laughs) But that, you know, that makes what she does more impressive because if you look, she's still managed to perform on a regular basis. Um, And yeah, the thing I like about it, she's just so cool and calm, isn't she? That you wouldn't, you know, she she seems so measured, so level-headed. It doesn't seem to phase her at all and yeah I think there's a really really good argument for that and I mean from your perspective I mean who else would you compare her to in terms of WSL folklore thus far oh that's a very good question I mean you'd have to roll back some years obviously there's been some fantastic players the sort of likes like Katie Chapman I thought was a great player Karen Carney I'm picking on a lot of Chelsea players but just the ones that when I started watching WSL these were always the big players that I enjoyed watching like Kelly Smith um but yeah there's something about Vivian Miedema I think you're right she's just got this very cool calm collective kind of vibe about her and she just seems so sort of she's got her feet firmly on the ground there doesn't seem to be much ego with her and there doesn't seem to be in, in a weird way, I feel like she doesn't know how good she is. And that's exactly what you want from players, is you want them not to be just playing for themselves and all these records that they can break and all the goals they can score, but just to be like that cog and that engine that sort of drives the team forward. And yeah, I think if she carries on the way she is, and we've got to remember, Arsenal just recruited Nikita Paris, and who's also another phenomenal striker sort of player, and that's kind of probably going to bigger up more because she's like, oh, hang on a sec, I've got competition now. So it's going to be really good when they actually start playing side by side a little bit more. But yeah, I would I would say she's definitely on her way. If she stays, obviously, it's going to be a lot of interest from other clubs. I think there were some whispers in the summer about her maybe potentially leaving Arsenal. But if she stays, I think that would be the right thing for her career because she will, in the nicest way, well, in the best way I can explain it, she will become a legend of the WSL. But it's just my opinion. I'm not paid for my opinions. That's what you're here for, Emily. Well, Emily, let's turn our attention to Jonas Eideville. He's quietly come through the door. Not much known about him, but he's already having a massive impact at Arsenal, isn't he? He is. And I have to say, I I know it, it set a bit of tension off, shall we say, and didn't go down well in some quarters, but... I thought his celebration after the win against Chelsea and the goal was quite refreshing in a way. I know some people might say it was a little bit overzealous, but I think just generally you can see the passion that he has. I think you saw the reaction of some of the players as well. They clearly like him and he seems, again, a very, very likeable character. And I think he's someone that's good for the game and, you know... Yeah, I mean, you can't fault what he's done so far, can you? He's turned into a proper gooner already in the space of a couple of months. But yeah, I just want to touch slightly, Emily, just on Beth Mead, because obviously you and I, we had a chat in the summer about, you know, the Olympics and Team GB. And I think we were both very surprised that she's not always been called up for the Lionesses and she's been missing out. She has been called up for the international break that's coming up. Um, but do you feel like she's a player now? I mean, playing with complete confidence. Yeah, I do. And it was interesting when you were talking about Vivian Miedemar beforehand. You know, I think the way she plays, 
at times helps Beth Mead as well, because you can see that when Meadmar's playing well, Mead plays well. And, and I think, yeah, I think, again, she's one that, that she performed very, very well against Chelsea, as we know, and, and just generally is performing at the moment. But I think also you can see she looks happy. She looks like she's enjoying her football um, and, and seems to be a bit of a, a confidence player. And, you know, I know both of us are pretty big fans of her and, you know, she, she's been on the scene a long time now, hasn't she? She came through very, very young and, you know, we've still got, you know, Touchwood many years ahead of her as well. And yeah, I think it's brilliant to see her doing well. And you just hope she gets a good run now, both domestically, but then, as you say, also that international recognition too. Yes, it's looking very pretty for Arsenal at the moment. But Manchester City's terrible week continued as they were surprisingly beaten at home by Spurs with the subject, our favourite subject of VAR or the lack of it being brought up again. It started so well as Lauren Hemp gave City the lead in what was a dominant first half display. Rachel Williams slotted in to equalise, but the controversial moment came when there was a clear handball by Spurs' Rosella Ayani in the box before it bounced back off Steph Horton, hit the post, and then City goalkeeper Karima Taib and rolled over the line. Such drama. To compound the, the misery even more, Esme Morgan was carried off with a nasty-looking injury, which is looking likely to rule her out of the upcoming Lionesses fixture. Spurs moved up to fourth with that win. Emily, plenty of protests from the City contingent, and again, the subject of VAR, or lack of it, is rearing its ugly head. How many more of these issues need to happen until perhaps the league are going to take action? Yeah, it's it's a really important point, and I think... You can see, can't you, why they're upset about it? I know the result itself was eye-catching and I think a lot of people were pleased to see it because it was a shock. It's good for the league, good for the profile of the league. You know, all overall, I guess, you know, Spurs performed pretty well in that game. But I think, yeah, it, it can't keep happening, can it, ultimately? I think, you know, these are big decisions. You can't lose many games to win the WSL, can you? We've seen that in recent years, and I guess they've already lost one and probably one that they didn't expect to lose. And it's tricky, isn't it? I think it's unfortunate because VIR does have its issues, as we know, and, and negative points. But unfortunately, in the opening weeks of the season, we've seen some really key incidents that I guess had VAR been implemented, probably would have been avoided and would have been the correct decision. I mean, where do you sit on it, Liv? I mean, I think purely because I work in an industry in sports and I understand things like connectivity in some of these grounds that WSL play in it's not feasible and I think that's what we kind of need to it's all right saying oh bring in VAR but I, I don't think people know the manpower that goes behind it so that's why it's you know in the likes of you can't necessarily have it in the King Power Stadium with Leicester or the Emirates with Arsenal and then you don't have it in the Chigwell Construction Stadium for West Ham. So it's frustrating. And I kind of wonder whether if we can't have VAR, we need to think about adding more officials because there's a lot of pressure on one referee to have eyes behind the back of their head. It's just not it's just not going to happen. And, you know, as, as, as disappointed as Man City are with what had happened, and I'm going to start dubbing Rosella Yani as the hand of goddess now, if it was on the flip side, I don't think there would have been so much uproar. And I know that's not necessarily sounds like it's being fair in sport, but that is football and that is sport. You know, we're very lucky to be so advanced with technology. 
but we did without it before we can do without it again so I think it's just more down to yeah maybe having another official more eyes on the game um and then hopefully in the next five to ten years and the WSL and the championship and all the leagues below get more exposure move into better grounds better connectivity then maybe we'll start to see it but you know I think that's a long way off at the moment but we can't just sort of talk about that talking point we do have to give Spurs credit that's two wins out of two now Rianne Skinner that must be a massive boost for that team to go away to the City Academy and take that result it must have felt like a massive massive win it's huge, isn't it? And and as you say, I think you don't want that decision to completely overshadow the good work that went into that performance. And I think Spurs are one of those teams where, OK, a lot of people have ticked them to do OK, but people aren't or weren't really sure how they'd fare. And yes, it's still early days, but, you know, the performances and um, going there, getting that result, people do sit up and take notice. And it'll just, you know, if this continues, say, for the next two, three games, all of a sudden people start talking, don't they? Could they do something that, you know, uh, perhaps was a little bit unexpected? And, you know, Rianne Skinner is someone that has been a respected coach for a very long time now. Obviously, she's so au fait and familiar with the England setup and brought through so many players, so many of those, uh, I would say youngsters, but, you know, the, the, the graduates, if you like, from the younger England age groups that have come in in recent years have, have been through her sort of leadership and stewardship. And, you know, she she's performed very, very well for a long time and has a lot of experience, really, for someone that's at this stage of her career. And, you know, it's great to see her do so well and great to see a female coach do, doing well, too. Yeah, absolutely. It's an exciting time to be in that Spurs camp. We've also heard a couple of little whispers that Rianne's a fan of our podcast, Emily. So if she's listening, we would love to get her on sometime and, you know, talk about her career and talk about her wins. But top of the WSL on goal difference is Hope Powell's Brighton and Hope Albion. They produced a five-star performance as they picked up the three points at Birmingham City. Five different scorers on the mark for the Seagulls at St Andrews. Victoria Williams gave Brighton the ideal start with a close-range volley after Emily Ramsey bumbled a corner. Inessa Kagman added a second from the penalty spot after Aileen Whelan was fouled by Harriet Scott. Daniel Carter then squeezed the ball home at the near post for her first goal for the club to make it 3-0, before Emma Cavizzo headed in a fourth and Kaylee Green chipped Ramsey with an exquisite finish to make it 5 Emily, Brighton, you know, we sort of talked about them being the bogey team, a little bit inconsistent last season, but they could be a real surprise package this season, couldn't they? Absolutely. Look, that at the weekend was a really, really eye-catching result, I thought. And yeah, I think they showed, didn't they, at times last season what they can do, particularly in some of those bigger games and those trickier games, but perhaps just didn't quite have that consistency. But you know, we've said it before, and I think the point still applies that anyone with Hope Powell at the helm has got every opportunity, haven't they, of doing really, really well. And I think with Brighton, there's almost an even bigger picture there. For a long time, they've been quite open and quite vocal about what they're trying to achieve as a club, both on the men's and the women's side. And, you know, their relatively new training ground, the new stadium that they've got. And 
yeah, it just feels like it's a very good place to be. And I guess, you know, if you're a player, a really good place to play your football and, and develop. And, and again, not too dissimilar to what we said about Tottenham, do something quite special. Um, yeah, I think they look good, don't they? And I think it's hard because you don't, we've said it before, but you don't want to really see those score lines too often, do you? Um, but when it's a team like Brighton, it it doesn't feel quite as detrimental, shall we say, as if it's a Chelsea or a City or an Arsenal where you might perhaps expect it. Um, but yeah, exciting times, I would say, for Brighton. Yes, but disappointing, like you said, for that scoreline for Birmingham. You know, they struggled last season. They've got a new coach this season. Do you feel like it's going to be a, a long road ahead or do you feel like they could potentially see themselves really struggling? Yeah, unfortunately, I do. I think that in that respect, that, that scoreline, I think, stands out from that perspective as well, because, you know, you don't you don't expect a team tra- that's traditionally been mid table like a Brighton to, to rack up that kind of scoreline. Um, but they did. And, you know, I think most people expected Birmingham to struggle and it certainly looks that way at the moment. Um, that said, you know, if they can start to pick up a few results soon, whether it, you know, even if it's the odd draw here and there and kind of stop that, that rut, if you like, they've got every chance, but you do, yeah, you do worry for them, I think. Carla Ward needs to return those players that she took in the summer, but I do agree with you. (laughs) I think it's going to be very tough for them. But the other team on six points is Manchester United. They spoiled the party for Leicester City's first game at home at the King Power Stadium. Just under 4,500 fans were there to see Ella Toon's stunning long-range strike, which gave United the first half lead, before defender Maria Thorostotia made it 2-0 after the restart. Leicester City's Abby McManus got one back against her former club, but substitute Martha Thomas restored United's two-goal lead. The only downside of the day for United was Millie Turner being carried off on a stretcher after colliding with Tash Flint. She was given oxygen on the pitch and had her leg in a brace as she left the pitch. We all wish her a very speedy recovery. Emily, there were lots of whispers and comments about Mark Skinner's return to the WSL, but two wins out of two. Fans, come on. I know they're very hard to please, but they must be happy with a good start. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's it's funny you say that about the fans because... With with Mark Skinner, it's interesting because we are obviously, you know, you and I live are of a generation where we are on social media. We're looking at what people are saying on social media about certain things. But often that isn't necessarily reflective of the match going fans. And I think, OK, results help that. But there seems to be a lot of support for him. They seem to have taken to him and he seems to have taken to them. And, you know, you watch him kind of when he goes over to them, there's a real affinity there because they're quite vocal, aren't they? To be fair, they're quite a vocal, lively fan. Twitter's a dark place for Manchester United fans. (laughs) And and that's and and I think sometimes like it, it must be so hard for those individuals involved because it feels really personal, but it's not a reflection of what everybody thinks, is it? It's a bit of an echo chamber a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, because there's a lot of pressure on him, really, I think, coming in after Casey Stoney. It's obviously been very, very well documented that things aren't perhaps 100% as they should be there at the moment. And, you know, there's a few issues that need to be addressed. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't complain, can you? And I think, you know, on the flip side of that, he has he has the pressure of the fan base. But if you can get it right, 
what a great fan base to have behind you. Mm, absolutely. Barmy army. But Leicester, should we be worried? I mean, lots of players through the door, lots of investment, playing at the King Power. They'll get off the mark soon, don't you think? I think so. And I think it's also just a sign of the jump because I think we obviously see this very competitive championship, um, but there's still a big, big gulf, isn't there? And, you know, I know a lot of the players that make the jump say that and, you know, emphasise that point. And and you've probably seen it with, with Leicester, really, haven't you, that, you know, they've got a very good setup, they've got investment, they've got full-time players, but it's still, you know, not easy and the level and, you know, it's 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 the old adage, isn't it? You, you might get one chance in the WSL where you might get a few opportunities in the championship to, to rectify a mistake or or to convert. So, yeah, I think I think they'll be fine. I think they've got enough there, as you say, from a playing point of view, but also everything else going on there. And yeah, from their sake, I guess they'll just be hoping it sooner rather than later. I think they'll be very similar to Aston Villa last season. I think trying to find their feet, trying to gel, trying to sort of get, like you said, that jump from the championship to the WSL, not an easy feat. But then, you know, we'll talk about Aston Villa a bit later, doing very well at the moment to the start of the season. So I'm I'm kind of with you. I don't think they have to worry too much about it as long as they start picking up the points soon. But let's talk about Chelsea. They bounced back after last week's defeat at Arsenal, brushing aside Everton, who have now conceded eight goals in their first two games. Last season's Golden Boot winner Sam Kerr scored twice in the second half after England international Frank Kirby had opened the scoring with a wonderful curling effort. Substitute Beth England added a fourth from close range with her first touch. Erin Cuthbert said they showed a statement of intent. Chelsea had 27 attempts and Emma Hayes, ever the perfectionist, felt her side should have scored more goals. But Emily, it was a great response from Chelsea, wasn't it, considering the defeat last weekend? Oh, it was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? And, you know, you almost feared for whoever their next opponent was in a way, didn't you, after the the previous weekend? Um, But yeah, they were exquisite, weren't they? And look back to their best um yeah I think that they're, they're a really frightening prospect I think you know after the first game people start talking don't they there's a bit of speculation around you know is it going to be harder for them this year but on that evidence it could be business as usual again um I guess on the flip side for Everton you do worry for them um obviously you don't get too hard to games do you in that league but I don't think anybody expected them to perhaps be on the end of two such big, big defeats. And, you know, yeah, you just hope that that can be rectified soon because otherwise it could it could be quite a long season. Mm, yeah, I mean, we do have to take into account that they did play two of the top teams. You know, Willie Kirk says he isn't worried about his job, but you do have to think about these questions with the performances against the top three, the top four. It's just, are they going to be a team that are, going to be reliant on beating the teams that are lower down or or do you think he can find a way to bring up their mentality and make it a little bit more challenging against Man City and Chelsea's and Arsenal? I think it's really hard because they're kind of in that situation where I know a lot's been made of the players that they've signed and you know for a lot of last season they looked really really good and really competitive but it's kind of like hard to gauge where they should be because you couldn't necessarily see them breaking into that top three, top four just yet. But then 
is it, you know, is it almost like more of the same as last season? But of course, from their side, they won't be thinking that way. They have strengthened. Um, and yeah, I think, again, you just hope that the league doesn't kind of fall into that trap of, you know, they're almost that sort of three separate leagues where you've got the top three or four, the middle, and then kind of the bottom, bottom two, bottom three. Um, but no, you, you're, you're quite right. I think you don't get two harder games, do you? Um than those two, especially on their day. Um, but I think it, the tricky thing is, or the frustrating thing will be from their side, is they would fancy themselves as a team that can compete, certainly, you know, better than they did do. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, a lot has been made of the signings. You know, do, do you think that they can, or they will gel? I think someone's just changed the water at Everton because the way that they performed the first two games was nothing like we saw last season. Um, yeah, they brought in some really good players. I mean, they bought experienced players. I think they they got in Dali from West Ham and, you know, sort of players that there were gaps in that team to sort of compete and fight and be like, you know, breaking into that top four. But as we've said, you know, Man City, Chelsea, it's disappointing how many goals they conceded. But, you know, on paper, we were never really expecting them to take too much from that. So I'm sure that, you know, as time goes on, they'll start to gel a little bit more. And the first game of the weekend saw Aston Villa grab a last gasp equaliser at West Ham. Remy Allen's second goal in as many games rescued a point for Villa. Canadian international Adriana Leon had given the host an early lead following an error by Villa's Anita Asante. It was West Ham's first goal in 600 minutes, Emily. You know, as I just mentioned there, lack of goals for West Ham. Is this going to be an issue for them this season? I think so. I mean, that that stat there is quite remarkable, really, isn't it, when you look at it? Um, again, it's, it's, it's another example, isn't it, of a club that you'd like to think could improve on last season. But it's one of those where there's almost there's only so many spots, aren't there? And there's so many teams that are on in that kind of bracket where you would say, you know, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, but you kind of win one, lose one, draw one, you know, the kind of struggle for consistency. Um yeah, I mean that's that is, is is quite remarkable, really. And as you say, that particular goal came from a mistake too. Um it, it's 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 really, really difficult, isn't it? And I think again it, it goes back to that point around the level of the WSL two. You come up against really, really good teams, ever improving defenses. Um, but yeah, I mean on, on the flip side, Villa, you know, so far so good. Well, yeah, we touched about Villa earlier because I sort of compared them to sort of Leicester City. But a real improvement, isn't there? Do you feel like it's all to do with their mentality and the shift of how they're playing? Or do we just, are we going to just say flat out, it's the Carla Ward effect? She loves a last minute goal and an equaliser or even a winner sometimes, doesn't she? She certainly does. But I, I think so. I, I agree with you. It's probably a bit simplistic just to put it down to that. But I think also it comes from just having that season there before, knowing what to expect, having a better idea of what you're coming up against. Um, obviously, the league is growing all the time, um, both in quality, but also in profile. You only have to look at the TV deals and the coverage and the general interest there. And I think all that takes a bit of time to get used to. Maybe not for some of the more experienced players, but certainly some of those players that hadn't played at that level before and perhaps been used to that attention. So I think 
yes, Carla Ward has clearly made a difference. You can see they look a really, really strong unit. But I think there's probably other factors there as well. And, you know, I, I guess from their point of view, they're, they're looking for a, a solid season. You know, they won't want to have that relegation battle again. And then, you know, they can continue to grow from there, fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. It's looking pretty tasty at the top and at the bottom at the moment in the WSL, isn't it? And that's what we're all here for. Anyway, we're going to move on to the championship next. It's Sunderland who still lead the way at the top by a point. Mel Ray's side drew 1-1 at Sellers Park against Crystal Palace as Kira Ramshaw's goal following her return from injury cancelled out Millie Farrow's opener. There are four teams all just behind on a point. Sheffield United grabbed a comprehensive 3-0 win away at Coventry United, who have yet to get a point on the board. It was a brilliant performance from the Blaze, and it could have been more. A goal from Lucy Watson and two from Courtney Sweetman-Kirk saw a second win in a row and a clean sheet to go with it as well. What more could you ask for? After a disappointing end to last season, Blackburn Rovers have started the season well as they saw off newly promoted Watford 3-1. Jade Richards, a screamer from Tash Fenton and a first for Rovers from Annabelle Blanchard, made manager Gemma Donnelly very happy. She said, I cannot identify any individual today who was better than anyone else as the whole team were brilliant. Watford, like Coventry, are currently pointless and sits second bottom on goal difference. The other two teams on six points are Durham and London City Lionesses. Catherine Hill and a penalty from Beth Heppel saw last year's runners-up brush aside Charlton. London City Lionesses suffered their first defeat of the season at Lewis. Who else but Ini Umatong scoring on the follow-up after the ball hit the post? Emily, it's looking pretty great, isn't it, at the top and at the bottom? Very tight already. We always said that the Championship is a very tough league to get out of. Are you enjoying the excitement so far? Oh, 100%. And I have to say, I think it's great to see Sunderland doing so well. Obviously, a lot was made a few years ago when they lost their status because of the pedigree of the club, the history, the number of players they've produced. They were always one of those pioneers, weren't they, if you like, as a club of the women's game, you know, one you would always associate with, you know, a real commitment to it and, and, Look at those players that have come through through there and gone on to, to achieve some incredible things. So, yeah, I think that's been really, really good for the league. Um, as you say, at the bottom, there's probably certainly one team, maybe a couple of teams you didn't expect to be down there. It's still early days. The results you've just read out there prove that cliche, but anyone can be anyone in that league. And, you know, I think, yeah, it's just such a refreshing division, isn't it? And, and just so hard to call. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe if Sunderland do win the league, we'll see another season of Sunderland till I die because I loved that. It was very good. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, hopefully someone will pitch that soon. Right. The final game in the championship was the game that you were at, Emily, wasn't it? Between Liverpool and Bristol City, both who were in the WSL not too long ago. It finished nil-nil, but that didn't tell the whole story, did it? No, it didn't live. And, you know, it was it was interesting, really, because it was a really closely contested game, very little to separate the sides, as, as the scoreline suggests. And I think both of them probably, and perhaps a little bit understandably, la- seemed to be lacking a little bit of confidence, given their respective mixed starts to the season. And, you know, we all know that Liverpool probably underperformed a bit last year. Bristol City had a really, really tough, tough season. 
have to give a special shout out to the Bristol goalkeeper, Fran Bentley, who was absolutely brilliant. Sort of lost track of the number of times that she came off her line to block a shot. And, you know, certainly for the second half, she was playing in front of a very, very vocal cop at Prenton Park, you know, that were clearly trying to suck the ball in the net for their team. But she was absolutely brilliant. Um, there were two red cards late on as well. The first one was for Liverpool's knee Fahi, who was shown a second yellow for what was a bit of a routine foul, but a yellow card. And then in stoppage time, Bristol were then reduced to 10 players where Brooke Aspin, and it was a really bizarre situation where she charged down Taylor Hines' free kick using her hands and it was completely blatant. Second yellow card. Um, Liverpool got another free kick off the back of it and that, you know, that was well saved. But yeah, the second red card in particular was really crazy because it was completely avoidable. It was a second yellow. Um, Also, just lastly, I'd say a special mention to Liverpool's Ashley Hodson who made her... 116th appearance for the Reds, which set a new club record, which made sure she overtook Gemma Bonner. So that was a nice occasion. And I know Liverpool are going to sort of celebrate that properly next game, I think, um, you know, and kind of acknowledge that at their next game. But yeah, that that was pretty special because that's a pretty remarkable achievement, really, isn't it? 116 games. Mm, absolutely. I don't even think I could manage 10. My fitness would be all over the place by then. But, um, you know, even though nil-nil scoreline doesn't say a lot and, you know, you talked about Fran Bentley, big gloves to fill after following from Sophie Bagley leaving and you caught up with her after the game. I think a high start position is key just to read the long ball, especially with their pacey wingers. I think focus is important because sometimes in a game as a keeper you won't have a lot to do, but it's just keeping your head in it, keeping concentrating and switching on. I think it was great from the girls, good determination, um, just sticking it till the end and bodies on the line. I'm not sure ours was sending off because I think you just give her a warning there. If you move too early, then just make the wall start again and free take it again. But no, it's a lesson for Brooke because she's young. She'll learn from it and it's good. Yeah. You've got a couple of weeks now until your next game. Yeah. You know, I guess is it just a case of just working hard again on the training ground yeah. and coming back? Yeah. It's been a big start, hasn't it? Yeah, a few of the girls go away for international, so that's good for them. But we still train. We work on what we can work on, do a few like things personally that we can do and have a rest as well, go home, have a chill, and then we're ready for the next game, Durham at home. Emily, just really quickly, um, to, to stick with both teams, both, you know, sort of expectation to get promoted. I mean, is that sort of something that you would say both teams need to really look at this season if they want to feel like a sense of achievement? Yeah, I think so, because I think there was a real, just chatting to people at the game, um, both from the two teams, but also, um, you know, followers and, and, and other staff that work within the two teams is there is an awareness of how important it is now to be in the WSL, because obviously spoke earlier about the broadcast deal, but just generally it's growing. Um, admittedly, the championship is too. You can't deny that, but I think... It's like anything, isn't it? You're missing out if you're not dining at that particular table. And particularly those two teams having been in the WSL fairly recently um, over you know recent years and, and for a long time before that, I think, yeah, there's a real appetite and drive to get back. But then there is also an awareness and a mindfulness of how challenging that's going to be because, you know, you could see that from the game the other day. You've got two decent sides there, but are struggling to put the ball in the back of the net, lacking a little bit of confidence. And then you've got your, your Sunderlands, as you said earlier, are doing really, really well. 
Durham are very good. You've got Sheffield United. It's, it's a really tough league. And it's almost like, yes, there's an ambition to get out of there as quickly as possible. But then, you know, most other teams in that league seem to want to do that as well, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to agree with you on that, that everyone else has got those ambitions too. But who better to ask about Liverpool's ambitions and prospects than the host of the women's section of Red Men TV, Amy Lawrence and Lauren Black, and Emily caught up with them. So I am now joined by Amy Lawrence and Lauren Black from Red Men TV. So we've witnessed a draw here today between Liverpool and Bristol City. Yeah. Could you just give me your th- overall thoughts on the game, please? Um... I think it was it was a good game overall. I think both teams had uh, a lot of possession, a lot of chances. I think just the final ball kind of let us down. I think a lot today. Um, I think especially second half, it was kind of kind of frustrating. Obviously, we lost Neve as well to a red card early on in the second half, and that sort of changes the game a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it was a good match. I think just yeah, disappointing with the with the nil nil draw. I think. And just thinking about the season overall, obviously it's been a bit of a mixed start for Liverpool, but but how would you summarise it? Um, probably the fact that it has been a bit of a mixed bag. Obviously, uh, a loss in the first game, a good win against Watford, and then a draw again. Um, I do think it's necessarily any like cause for concern, but I think from the perspective that we all had before this season began and the fact that we wanted promotion and we would do anything like in our power to get that it seems slightly disappointing that we've not been able to push on like further than that um but it's not the be all end all like it's a long season um and we've got players in the team that can really really push and and, and score the goals for us so hopefully we like to start to see that and as with any club who, who gets relegated there's lots of expectation and I guess none yeah. more so than at a club like Liverpool with the pedigree and the reputation that they've got within the women's game I guess just thinking about last season not wanting to dwell on it too much you know how did you guys find it following the team and, and reporting on the team it was it was exciting wasn't it it was obviously the championship's very different to uh, the WSL uh, so it was kind of like a new thing new teams new players that you had to learn all about and stuff like that which was um Nice, obviously, expanding your knowledge and stuff like that. Um, obviously, the ultimate goal at the end was to get promotion. Unfortunately, we didn't get that. Um, but I think that just shows the improvement in the women's game overall. I think it just shows how tough it is now. Um, and you don't just have to focus on the top teams. You know, there the, the is really good teams in the championship scrapping away, trying to get that, that place. But, yeah, it was fun at times, frustrating and mm-hmm. probably difficult um, to sort of wrap your head around certain things but yeah I think overall it was just um, yeah it was a, it was a fun season in more more ways than one I'd probably say now that, that's brilliant and uh, Matt Beard of course returned to the club in May yeah. after six years away yeah. you know what did you make of his return and I guess what do you make of him being back back at the club um, I think once it became clear that he was no longer being made part of Bristol's permanent plans and the fact that obviously the the role opened up at Liverpool I don't think it would take a massive genius to sort of link him back to Liverpool anyways due to like previously what he's done at the club and and the impression that he sort of made I think he's he's slightly different now than what he was when he won the title with us all all those years ago um he's a he is a pedigree manager like I think he knows how to get us where we need to be i.e. back into the WSL I think he's obviously proven that before like he's won the league it's a different league now than what it was when he won it back then but 
he's such a gritty manager. He he helped West Ham when they when they were obviously coming into the the WSL first season um, after becoming professional. So he really helped them, and I think he has the ability to really do that for us. I think we're still yet to see a little bit of that with the team, and I think he's not completely torn on like the selection just yet. But I think he's got it in him, and I hope and I hope that he does sort of like get there and then push even further so like keep us in the championship like uh, keep us in the WSL to get there etc things like that amazing and obviously eight new players if my math serves me correctly came in <laughs> over the summer Rihanna Dean from Tottenham I guess being one yeah. of those marquee signings if you like from the matches that you've seen so far this season I know there's only been a few who should we all be looking out for do you think uh, I think Rihanna Dean's a good one. I think yeah. she's she's still very young. She's still, she's got an abundance of talent. Um, obviously, you know, last weekend against Watford, she performed really well. Um, so she's definitely one to keep an eye out for. I think Charlotte Wardlaw at right back's done amazing yeah. for us as well. Obviously, still only eighteen. Um, the Ann Kiernan. The Ann yeah. Full of energy. But I think that's what you need. You you need you need young talent coming through. Just just want it. And, just want to improve and want to like I feel like they have something well. to prove as well like yeah. playing without any any sort of what do you call it like pressure. they've got no pressure have they and I suppose that sort of helps the other, the other players in the team as well that like we were counting on obviously Rachel Fairness was a big player for us last season you know everyone was counting on here to sort of perform well same for like the likes of Mel Lawley and stuff and you've now got these youngsters who have come in and sort of revolutionise the team a little bit yeah. I'd say and just sort of can offer us something else so I think yeah they're, they're definitely a top three ad to keep an eye on this season Excellent and just lastly obviously you guys do a brilliant job in terms of covering the team with the coverage and the content that you produce for the Red Men TV is there anything particular that we should be looking out for or anyone that I guess isn't as familiar with the channels is there anything this season that you guys have got coming up? Um We've got the usual, so we do a weekly podcast um, that's available on YouTube that you can watch. Um, We also try and do build-up shows and post-match reactions and just anything we can do surrounding the game. Um, Obviously, the the podcast being the main one, we're on episode 145 now, I think. Wow. Yeah, so um, it seems to be going, you know, all right. We've done well so far. But, yeah, you know, our obviously main focus is is that podcast and and post-match. We get interviews after the game with managers and players, so... I suppose we're just like a little inside access to to the team, really. No, it's brilliant. Keep up the good work because it's fantastic. It's World Cup qualifier week this week and Serena Wiegmann takes charge of the Lionesses for the first time this coming Friday when they host North Macedonia at Southampton before heading to Luxembourg next Tuesday. Wiegmann has been appointed to bring success to the Lionesses. She has the pedigree after winning the 2017 Euros with the Netherlands. She says she knows what her vision is. We'd love to know what it is too. Uh, Emily, there's huge pressure on Wiegmann already to bring success, isn't there? Anyone that's sort of tagged with that Lionesses team, you kind of want instant success. Hugely. And I think, like you said there, she comes with a pedigree. She comes with an expectation. I think the fact that we've had to wait so long to see her oversee a game for, you know, the mitigating circumstances, the fact that she was completing her previous tenure and you know everything that's kind of gone in between you know I think in some respects that almost ramps up the pressure even more because there are expectations it's been quite an indifferent mixed season hasn't it or last year or so sorry I should say for the Lionesses in terms of the results anyway um but yeah I think at the same time how exciting you know I think if you look at the media coverage so far of 
you know, her arrival, the stuff they did at Wembley. It it was really, really exciting. And she seems to be really excited to be here too and to have the opportunity to work with those players. And yeah, you just hope she she gets off to to the perfect start really. And, you know, some of that pressure then will, will then be alleviated. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of the perfect start, I mean, it would be a shock if they don't like pick up both wins in these games against these teams, isn't it? Yeah, it, it certainly would do. And I think that, yes, that in itself does add pressure, doesn't it? And I suppose at the same time, again, not wanting to get too far ahead, but, you know, particularly if the first game goes to plan and as it should do, hopefully it will enable her to be able to look at the wider squad and maybe mix it up a bit in the second game. And because I think that's important as well. You want players to have opportunities because it has been a strange old year, hasn't it, in terms of fixtures and not having as much game time or anywhere near as much international game time as they would have done previously or in a normal year. So, yeah, look, really, really excited about the two games and yeah, it's great to have the international game back, although it always comes at a really weird time, I think. Do you? Well, I mean, I do, considering it doesn't sort of match up with the men. So you're kind of flip-flopping in between the two. But we're going to send, um, well, we're going to march Andrew to the Saints to go and watch one of the games for us. So hopefully he will be there and he will give us a full recap of what's happening. So elsewhere Scotland travel to Hungary on Friday before hosting the Faroe Islands next Tuesday Northern Ireland have two games against Luxembourg and Latvia Wales Wales host Kazakhstan before traveling to Estonia Emily are we expecting a clean sweep for the home nations are we going to bring it home just for this round I'm going to say yes Lou I'm going to say yes why not that's all you need to and that's the perfect way for us to end the pod today Emily, thank you so much, as always, for taking part. Many thanks to everyone for tuning in. Please give us a follow on social media. On Twitter, it's at TWFP1. And on Instagram, it's the Women's Football Podcast. Until then, we'll see you very soon. Bye.